Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry. Clay Lowry serves as the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, everyone. This is Clay Lowry. Welcome again to today's podcast episode, where I'll be discussing the Russia-Ukraine conflict, diving into a lot of the questions that we receive on the sanctions regime. We receive them in a lot of different fora. And we just thought we'd try to address them here today. Before I go on, I do want to say most of the conversation today is about how does this impact Russia or potentially the rest of the world. This is no way to dismiss what is impacting Ukraine. The people of Ukraine are suffering because of an unnecessary invasion of their country, which is harming civilians and soldiers and killing them for no good reason. So on that score, all our hearts go out to the people of Ukraine. One quick update from last week's episode, which is that the Federal Reserve did raise its interest rates on Wednesday, and they essentially said that they would probably raise them another six times this calendar year, or at least projected that. Secondly, Sarah Bloom Raskin has withdrawn her candidacy to be the vice chairwoman for supervision at the Federal Reserve. We had talked about this last week, and she had lost support of even a Democrat or two. And so at that point, it just became impossible for her to be cleared. But now on to today's episode. As all of you know, on February 24th, the United States announced that it would, along with its allies and partners, impose severe and immediate economic costs on Russia in response to the invasion of Ukraine by implementing sanctions on Russia. So there's a number of questions that have popped up that I thought would be worth answering. The first question is just the easiest one, which is what has the U.S. done regarding sanctions on Russia? So what they've done is very unprecedented in many respects. The comprehensiveness of the sanctions, how coordinated it is, the size of Russia's economy, and the speed at which it was done. But let me just talk about some of the sanctions that were done that are very, very unusual. First is that it placed sanctions on the SWIFT system. The SWIFT system is a messaging system. So a lot of people think of it as a payments or a clearing system. It's none of those things. It's a messaging system. But in order to make your transactions happen, you need to, messages need to happen. You need to have confirmation that a transaction's taken place. And so if you cut off a number of Russian entities from that SWIFT sanction, it becomes very hard for them to do international transactions. So that's a big sanctioning regime. It's only really been done in a major way one other time, which was on Iran. The second big sanction that was different was on the central bank. So Russia had for years talked about building up a fortress Russia to kind of wall themselves off a little bit from pressure points, particularly from the United States, but but also from Europe and other countries on financial issues. The area that they built that fortress up was the Russian central bank. But with the United States, Western Europe, the United Kingdom, Japan, Singapore, and others did, was they basically cut off the central bank from being able to do a couple different things. One, it froze their assets. So they have assets all over the world, but they're frozen now and they can't bring them back. So they can't bring back that hard currency. Secondly, is they can't make transactions to get hard currency because they've been basically prevented from doing those transactions. Now, there are offshoots because not every country on the world basically said they couldn't do this, but it does create problems for a lot of the reserves 
in other words, part of the fortress, that Russia actually had. Since the initial sanctions regime, the United States, the United Kingdom, and Canada have also said that their sanctions would apply to not allowing Russian exports of energy, oil, natural gas, coal, and others to actually occur. Uh, this is a big deal. And so far, the Western European countries have not done this, which is mainly because they are much more dependent on Russian energy for their own economies today. So what is the point of all this? Why do this? Well, obviously, part of it is to try to punish Russia for the invasion on Ukraine. But the objective is to squeeze the Russian economy, to make it almost autarkic or isolated and to try to make it so it is unsustainable for Russia because they're no longer able to participate in the international financial system. The theory being is that this will put pressure on Russia, its citizenry, its leadership, to try to make a change and decide that this war that they have initiated is just not worth the effort. Which leads you to the question is, what has the impact so far been on Russia's economy? And is it even close to a collapse? The second part of that question is, no, it's not. I mean, there's uh, the Russian economy was in pretty good shape had uh, before all of this began. It had built up this fortress Russia. But that being said, it has hit the Russian financial markets very hard. The currency has depreciated significantly. That's the ruble, by the way. They have put on capital controls. They have had to raise interest rates. And they are having to withdraw in some respects from the financial system themselves. This is going to have an impact, and it already is having an impact. They, it's created bank runs within Russia. It has forced Russia to shut its markets down. Overall, it is going to have an impact on the economy. Our economists at IIF have predicted that Russia's economy, which was projected to grow by 2 to 4% in calendar year 2022, will instead contract by 15%. Now, obviously, there's some assumptions based here, and it may not happen. But a 15% contraction, even if it's a 10% contraction, is a large contraction for any economy and to the people of Russia. All right, so maybe these outcomes are happening, but what more could be done? In some respects, there's two areas that are loopholes. One is the energy loophole that I briefly mentioned at the beginning. Russia is able to, at least under the sanctioning regime, is able to continue to do transactions where they will export their energy to Europe. It's not so clean to say it'll be exactly what it was in the past, and that's because there's going to be overcompliance on sanctioning regime. So if you are a financial institution or others, you may just be reluctant to do business you might be reluctant to do business because of reputational issues, or you might be reluctant to do business because you're just not sure whether this is within the compliance regime or it's not within the compliance regime. It's referred to as overcompliance. In some cases, that actually may be called self-sanctioning. You just self-sanction and just say, I'm just not going to do business with these guys anymore. Right now, that is an area that kind of could be filled, but we're not sure that it's going to happen or not. And that depends on a lot on the politics and the policies coming out of Germany and other countries within Western Europe. The second area is how can Russia get around sanctions? And the best way to get around sanctions is the countries that have not actually sanctioned Russia. Those countries include India, China, or some countries in the Middle East. 
So there have been discussions around would China implement the sanctions, and there's a lot of diplomacy going on in this side. In China's mind, I think that they're basically, they're trying to balance two things. Actually, I've, I've listened to some China experts who think there's three, but let me just say the two that I think of. On the one hand, there is a longstanding tradition for China's foreign policy to place its importance on sovereignty. One country should not intervene in another country's issues. Well, let's face it, there's no greater interference in another country than invading that country. So on that one, you would think that the Chinese would join with the sanctioning regime. On the other hand, is China has a relationship with Russia. It is a commodity importer. Russia is largely a commodity exporter. And they don't appreciate the United States and probably Western Europe, but mainly the United States role in sanctioning countries based on the importance of the dollar. That's something that China's against. So I think that China is trying to figure out how to walk this line, but it is a tough one. And you've seen that with Chinese statements, which have actually kind of bounced back and forth on these issues. And you see it a little bit with the diplomatic conversations that are clearly going on between the United States and China, as well as Western Europe and China, to try to make sure that at least China, if they're going to stay neutral, what the United States really doesn't want to see happen is China actually support Russia. A separate question that arises is how are the sanctions on Russia impacting the global economy? So usually when I think about this, I think about it as there are three ways for contagion to work. I mean, there's probably many more than three, but the three that I think of are trade links, financial market plumbing, and then the uncertainty that therefore, and third is confidence. Just kind of, does this knock people's confidence off? And so people run from risk to quality. In Russia's case, all three of these channels are probably playing out right now. The biggest one by far is trade linkages, particularly because, again, Russia is a large commodity exporter. So what have we seen so far? We've seen the average price of gas increase to a record high in the United States. This is going to lead towards greater inflation, which is a big problem in the United States, but it's also a problem in Western Europe. We have seen food prices increase pretty significantly. Russia is a big wheat exporter. This could have an impact on countries that are actually big wheat importers. And by the way, Ukraine is also a big wheat exporter. So countries like Egypt or Turkey are actually pretty big importers of Russia. The second area in terms of the functioning of the markets and the linkages that pop up, we probably haven't seen as much of that, but we did see that on one, one area in the nickel market, so Russia's a player in the nickel, became quite confused and volatile as the sanctioning regime was being wheeled out. And the third area is on confidence. And look, this is a confidence hit. And we have seen the IMF, the IAF, the OECD, and others downgrading the economic growth forecasts for Western Europe, for emerging markets, particularly in Eastern Europe and other countries that are more dependent on Russia, and even for the United States, which is not as dependent on Russia, but just the, the hit to potentially inflationary expectations or because of the uncertainty that is surrounding it could impact all of these things. So let me go to the three, two, one. My three takeaways are we are in uncharted waters when it comes to sanctions. Second, given that we are in uncharted waters, we just don't know what might go wrong. Something might go wrong, and we're not going to be exactly clear on what that will be. And third, the hit on Russia's economy and Russia's financial markets is significant and highly consequential for their Russian leadership, but much more importantly, 
for the people of Russia. Two areas that I am watching going forward. One, whether or not the energy loophole on the sanctions regime in Europe becomes closed, whether it's closed partially or closed fully. And by the way, it could be closed by the importers, Europe, or it could be closed by the exporter, Russia. And secondly, I'm looking to see how China will decide to react to this crisis. It'll be interesting to see if China decides to implement sanctions on Russia, stays neutral, or actually even becomes more supportive of Russia. This will be very telling going forward. One piece of sports information. So I actually want to talk about something in college sports. So in the United States, college athletics is a very important thing, and people follow it very closely. The two biggest sports by far are college football and college basketball. This week begins what's called March Madness in the United States. It is literally my favorite time of year for sports, and that's because you have 64 colleges have gotten into the March tournament to decide who's the best college basketball team. We will get through this weekend. There will be large upsets. In fact, last night we saw an upset where a college I've never heard of in New Jersey named St. Peter's beat the University of Kentucky. Just to put in perspective how big a difference there is between these two schools in terms of their college pedigree, the coach from Kentucky makes 36 times more money than the coach from St. Peter's does. Kentucky is considered a blue blood college basketball program, and it's one of the best programs there's ever been in college basketball, but they lost. And that's what makes the whole March Madness madness, because you just never know who's going to get knocked off. Wherever they are in the United States, it will be just a very exciting thing for the next two weeks. The second college sports thing I want to tell you about is a tragedy, which is just two days ago, the University of Southwest, which is in New Mexico, golf team was in a college tournament down in Texas. On their way home, uh, they were hit by a truck. Their coach and six of their players were killed. The truck driver and his son were also killed. It is a total tragedy, and it just shows these athletes who are not paid are basically try very hard to make good on something that they really care about. In this case, it was golf. In the case of my earlier example, it's basketball. But college sports is a great part of the United States, and we'll have some joy over the next couple of weeks, but we have a tragedy that has been terrible for the families and the universities that are involved in what happened in the, in the University of Southwest. Thank you very much. I hope you'll come back and enjoy. And obviously, any comments you have, concerns, let us know about it. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show, as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at IIF.com. Please make sure to tune in next Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.